On this episode of AvTalk, we discuss Aeromexico Flight 2431 and what we know so far. We delve into this week's strange but true aviation news, and Jason tries his hand at aircraft sales. Hello and welcome to episode 37 of AvTalk. I am Ian Pechnik, joined as always by... Jason Rabinowitz. Hello, Ian. Hello, Jason. It's good to talk to you again. Yes, as we in do... In the internet way. Every other week. <laughs> but we actually we actually physically interacted we did uh, in in the in the interim between last episode and this episode we celebrated national hot dog day yeah i mean we don't get to see each other nearly as often as we probably should but this um, is true this is there, true there were hot dogs so I, I had to take matters into my own hands and fly to chicago as one does because as one does. everyone knows you, you can't get a proper hot dog in new york so you have to fly to chicago to do it that's right. I'm pretty sure the city of Chicago created National Hot Dog Day once they realized I was flying to Chicago for hot dogs. So I'm going to chalk that one up as a win. Hey, it, they had a special on the hot dogs. So that that's all that counts. Pretty good too. It was pretty good. And like you survived. I, I did. I flew a day trip. <laughs> spirits out of LaGuardia to Chicago in the morning in the big front seat and had actually a pretty great experience. I got on the plane. I sat down and uh, two hours later, I got off the plane. That was the ideal way to fly Spirit. It's like had no bags. I didn't getting have on to, and getting off. I, that's all I did was I, I got on the plane. I sat down. I didn't buy anything, and then I got off the plane. That's it. And we were actually early, I think. And on the flight back, I flew United on a little seven three seven seven hundred in economy. And again, I sat on the plane. I bought nothing. I did nothing, and then I got off the plane at LaGuardia early, even though the weather was absolute crap. So, oh no, pretty great. And the, the that same flight that you had, the United flight that went the next day got canceled. I, it wasn't canceled, but it got in at like 2 a.m. So they might as well have canceled it. But I was very happy to, that the weather came through a day early or a day later. We were worried about the hot dogs. I won't lie. That's, yeah. there, was, there was some concern about the hot dogs there. But we got to see each other and, and that's always a, a good thing. We we thought about doing a special hot dog themed episode of the podcast, but we decided against that mostly because we were stuffing our faces. We were too busy. It, it just didn't work out. But we're back and and there's been some some news this week. It wasn't a busy week. Until yesterday. Until yesterday. And uh, then, there, uh, was, there was pretty yeah. much some little stuff that had happened. But I mean, yesterday, the the 31st of July, an Aeromexico uh, Embraer E-190 that was going from Durango to Mexico City crashed on takeoff, lost both its engines and slid- Physically lost both its yeah, engines. Yeah. Not, not they stopped- Well, we don't know yet whether or not the engines stopped working, but the engines came off of the aircraft and the aircraft slid about uh, about 1,500 – what is it? 1,300 feet to, to come to rest. And where burned. Everyone <laughs> – and, and burnt. Everyone made it out alive. Which was miraculous because I'm, I'm sure if you're listening to this, by now you've seen the pictures of what this aircraft looks like and it's it doesn't even look like an E-190 anymore. It is just absolutely destroyed and that, that does happen with fire damage. I, I don't know what it looked like when it first impacted, but fire kind of ravages anything. It, it, it burns and it just did not look like an E-190, but looking at that, I thought initially there's no way anyone survived this is going to be a tragedy. And then they started trickling out the news that there were no fatalities. And I almost didn't believe it. Not to say there were not 
any major injuries there were. I believe the the captain of the flight went through numerous surgeries and was in critical condition, but to not have any loss of life is pretty outstanding. I mean, like you, when when that report first came out, I you know double, triple, quadruple checked it. You know, as best I could, because I just, I almost didn't believe it. I mean, when when you see those pictures, you're like, well, how is that possible? Yeah. But but like you said, I mean, it, it, we don't know, you know, what the aircraft looked like just after, you know, just after the accident. Right. And so it and, and and the same thing happened with, I mean, kind of a, a similar situation happened with, let's see, the, the Emirates Triple Seven in Dubai, the Asiana Triple Seven in San Francisco, and the Air France. A330? 340, maybe? I will double check that one. But where, you know, the, the initial impact, everyone was able to get off the aircraft and then, you know, there was a fire and, and the aircraft was right. reduced and, to, and to a smoldering This pile. is why the aircraft evacuation standards of about 90 seconds to get every passenger off the aircraft is so vitally important because you may survive the initial crash. Aircraft have become so safe and engineered to keep you alive in a crash. And no matter what kind of fire retardant materials they put in the aircraft, fire is fire and fire is going to rip through that aircraft. So you have an amount of period to get off that aircraft before the fire really takes over. Yeah. And and, I mean, that's – I think it was – there were a number of people who have said, you know, this is the fact that no one lost their lives and everyone made it out okay, injured, but, you know, but made it out. I mean, it's a testament to the, you know, the iterative safety of the industry and, you know, how people continue to make things safer. And there will be study after study after study of this particular incident and they'll learn something and something will get even safer. Right. And so initially we had thought that weather may not have played much of a role because honestly, the the meter that I, I looked up and showed you, it did not look all that problematic. But Video actually came out today from onboard the aircraft during the takeoff roll, and boy, the weather looked kind of atrocious, didn't it? Yeah, I mean, it, there it was. You know, if you look at the timing, the it's kind of each meter was in between, or the the flight was in between the the reportings. So it, it looked like the weather just came through so quickly that it didn't even you know register on the on the reporting, and there was a. A time lapse yesterday that came out from Mexico webcams or webcam Mexico or, or something like that, and they had a time lapse of from a, a taller building in Durango that showed that weather system just kind of moving through and dumping a massive amount of rain and the wind picking up during that period of time. So they have the flight data recorder, they have the cockpit voice recorder, both are in good condition, and that will. That will give us some good answers. So whether it was a microburst that just slammed the aircraft back into the ground or maybe water ingestion into the engines that killed the engines, we don't know. We will find out when the Mexican authorities conduct their investigation. I believe the NTSB is assisting them because the I think the engines are American made. Is that right? I believe so, but I would have to double check. So the I know the NTSB is assisting for whatever reason. I think it's the engines. This was at an Embraer, so it was a Brazilian manufactured aircraft. So I'm sure the Brazilians will have uh, their own people investigating as well. And like every everything else, we will keep you updated when we learn more. Yeah, was, I mean, just once again, everybody made it out of the aircraft, and that, and that's the you know that's that's what I keep coming back to. It's just after seeing these pictures, I was like, that's 
but I, uh, yeah. one more thing I, I think i'd like to commend aero mexico for their communication and and handling of the situation absolutely absolutely because it's it's one thing to have a plan and talk up this is what we'll do on social media and maybe um this is how we'll communicate with the public, but it's another thing to actually execute. And Aero Mexico did it brilliantly. They were on top of their game. They acknowledged the situation real quick, and they provided constant updates. With keep saying that with a, an emphasis on our passengers, we want to make sure everyone's okay. And uh, I really tip my hat to them. They did a fantastic job. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. And and they did it. I mean, they, they did it very quickly, and they. They provided a lot of information to kind of confirm things or what's the word I'm looking for? D- dismiss certain things, you know, right away. So it was very, very interesting to to watch that plan that they had to have had in place and, and, and ready to go uh, in the event of something happening like this. So yes, hat, hats off to them indeed. Shall we move to some more uh, some lighter hearted news there will be no tipping of the hat to mr michael bay <laughs> this is one of those things where when you read it for the first through ninth times it doesn't make any sense and then when you get to the 10th time it makes even less sense this is just eh, go go on explain i don't even know if i can but but we'll do our best so michael bay is a an American film director, for those who don't know, and for those who don't know, I applaud you. You're living a better life than I am. Michael Bay is an American film director, best known for just blowing things up and being loud. Transformers movies, et cetera, et cetera. And so he was in – I'll say what he said and did and then we'll unpack what craziness this is. He's filming somewhere – underneath an aircraft and he says that while they were flying over the ocean, the engine fell off the aircraft that he was on. And then he shows a picture of a 747 with a a missing engine. And it's very clear- And a lot of other missing parts. And a lot of other other missing parts. Because it's in a scrapyard. Exactly. So it turns out that he said he was flying Thai Airways and that the engine fell off. Well, he's standing in the Mojave Desert- at MHV, which is a one of the you know boneyards for retired aircraft, and he's standing next to this plane, and and so I, you know f- he's filming it. He turns the camera towards the aircraft, and it um, you know happens upon the the registration. So I, you know and it was logo. clear to me, yeah, and well, and the logo, and and it was clear to me that you know he was in a boneyard of some sort because there were other aircraft around. So it, you know. You, very strange what he was talking about. Anyway, so it was HSTGN, which is a 747 that was retired in 2014. All of the engines are gone, along with a bunch of other parts of the plane because it's been parted out in the Mojave Desert. The best part of all of this is that Thai Airways doesn't mess around and published a very angry reaction to, to Mr. Michael Bay. As and they should have. As they should have. I think they were totally within their- No, 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 no. Uh, I'm, I'm not saying that they reacted in any way that they should not have done. That's not what I'm saying. Uh, I'm saying they, they reacted very forcefully. It was a very surreal thing to, to see because it gave no indication. His video gave no indication that he was joking. 
like, haha, I'm in a boneyard and, and look, the plane's engines fell off. Like there was none of that. No. He was and, trying to be serious about it. And, and he was yelling is, at the airline. It was very strange. It, it was strange. And this is why airlines remove their logos and titles before they retire aircraft like this. And I don't know why this one wasn't, why it still had. Uh, I, I can almost seconds. guarantee that there's someone on the way right now with a bucket of paint. Yes. They're just going to toss a bucket of white paint at this aircraft. I mean, even at, at the scene of, of minor incidents and crashes, what was the Turkish A330 in uh, – Kathmandu that overran the runway, they, they basically covered up the Turkish titles before they did anything else. Yeah, they. I mean, they usually you know paint a paint, just put a white stripe over it. Right. I think that's what they did with the the FedEx. Was it MD eleven or MD ten? And was it Fort Lauderdale? I think it was an MD ten. Yeah. Yeah. That uh, you know, first thing they do while they're you know working on it, they paint over it. Not not that you know. You you couldn't tell it was a FedEx plane, but I I, I always you know the, those always kind of tickle me because I'm like, well, that's you know, we we saw it happen. So shame on you, Michael Bay. I I'm not going to see your movies I, this week. I I don't think Michael Bay has the capacity for shame, but it was just surreal that you know somebody would would do that. And his video had no explosions or or, or sun flare or anything in it anyway. It it had no cinematic value whatsoever. Ah, no lens flare. Why even bother? That one I can't answer. I don't know, but this next story is good. <laughs> so, as it turns out, there's more to flying a plane than levers and buttons. Technically correct. Technically correct. A a young man at the Texarkana Regional Airport on the 4th of July was trying to, well, steal an American Eagle plane. He just wanted to go to a concert. I I really want to – when things like this happen, I always want to back up to like when that person decided that this would be a good idea. Yes, this is a good plan. Like, yes, we've decided – okay, I've got it. I'm going to hop the fence at the airport. I'm going to try and steal a jet and I'm going to fly to the concert. Was it a jet or like a little, a little prop, Cessna? Well, no. It was an American Eagle twin engine jet. Oh, oh. So wow. I, I guess we're talking, you know, E one thirty five, E one forty five. I guess, yeah. I mean, that's their smallest aircraft. And technically, they're correct that if you're flying like a little Cessna, it is just buttons and levers that you you do push. I mean, it's many of them, and you have to know which one to push so you don't die. If you're a pilot, <laughs> the hate mail goes to Jason. At, no, it's uh, podcast at fr two four dot com in the subject line. Attention, Jason. Mm, yes, I'll be sure to. Uh, Definitely read those, but this is this is amazing. He should hang out with the guy on Staten Island who lit a gas station on fire to see what would happen. I feel like they'd make a, make a good twin pair. I, I'm not sure we want to get those two guys together. Mm, no, probably a bad idea. But yes, I, I don't just... steal airplanes. That's uh, generally doesn't go well. Uh, he told police that he didn't believe there was much more to the task than pushing buttons and pulling levers. Hmm. Oh boy. So, needless to say, the uh, somebody at the airport saw him hop in the fence. They called the cops. Cops came and arrested him for trying to, you know, steal a, a plane. And it, Commercial it's, burglary. It's and, not unheard of, though. No, a, it's a, not. A number of years ago, I don't remember what airport this was out of, but somewhere in the United States, a, a pilot actually tried to steal one of his company's own aircraft and. Didn't do it quite well and drove it into the parking lot. Do you that? remember that? No, I don't remember that. Oh, there's video of it too. I believe he was drunk and tried basically stealing the aircraft and 
and accidentally put it in reverse thrust and it just kind of drove itself backwards into the parking lot. Oops. At least I think that's how the story goes. It's been a number of years, but there's video somewhere on the YouTubes. If we can find that or if Jason can find that, we will we'll put that in the show notes. Levers and knobs. There's also the one where the plane disappeared. Do you remember that one in 2003, the 727 oh, the in, uh, yeah, well, former American 727 in Angola? We still don't know where that thing is. No, it, it just flew away without clearance or anything, no transponder on, nothing, departed and, and no one's seen it since. <laughs> Perfect crime. So um, maybe, I don't know. That, that's one of those things that, that that's going to be up there with like db cooper didn't they say they figured out who db cooper was a couple of weeks ago everybody says that and then everybody's like no 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 i know who db cooper is eh, it's my grandpa yeah well, <laughs> i mean okay but let's keep moving through the list of things that that made even less and less sense today do we want to do peanuts or do we want to do oops we turned in the wrong spot peanuts because it's on the list first well, that's, I guess, a good way to do things. Are you as sad as I am? Which is to say not really sad at all. I am not sad at all. Not okay. only because I don't like peanuts, but also I don't really ever fly Southwest. So, no. That's fair. That's it. So, this does not affect you. Nope. For, for those wondering what we're talking about, because you, you might be, Southwest this week stopped serving peanuts on its aircraft. And that's the end of the story. Cool. Moving on. They're uh, serving no, it, pretzels now, by the way. They didn't just decide okay. no food. It's an allergy. It's it's an allergy thing. And they they but Southwest has been known for their, you know, for their peanuts. Yeah, uh, well, I'm sure some company big. was known for asbestos back in the day, but they probably don't sell that now either. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that that escalated quickly. Yes, it did. I don't have anything to add to that. Let's just though, move on. Though I'm sure somebody was known for his best. Anyway, so Air Canada, <laughs> what is happening here? Air Canada landed at Narita from Montreal. Sure. Okay. And they're building a – so if you land from the north facing south at Narita, you, you can take a – it's basically a – it's basically an off-ramp to the runway. I mean, it's a high-speed exit heading back towards the terminal area. And they took the wrong one that is before the one they were supposed to take that is currently under construction. And so they had to sit there for quite some time while they figure out how to you know, move the plane. How do you do that? It's an interesting thing because I can see this happening were it not for all of the things that are supposed – it's my understanding and, and granted I'm no expert in this and maybe we can bring back Dan, our operations person who can explain to us you know, exactly how things are supposed to be marked when they're under construction. But it's my understanding that you're supposed to really know that things are still under construction. So I, I think we can find fault with the Air Canada folks who made the wrong turn but also – why wasn't that marked in such a way that it was very, very clear that they were in the wrong spot? Yeah, I, I've definitely seen at like JFK here in New York a number of times that when a, part, a major taxiway or a part of a ramp is closed, they put, I guess, little barriers on the ground with flashing lights. Is that something they don't do if it's that close to the runway, I wonder? I, I don't know because I've seen it at I've seen it at O'Hare, rather close to the runway, and even at some points on the runway when they've had to – not on the, the runway itself, but on – what's the word I'm looking for? That's the 
not usable part of the runway at oh, the threshold it, yeah, uh, where it. they've been doing construction behind that area. So, I mean, I, I, it seems to me like that they would have a way to mark it somehow or not even put it on the, on the runway, but move it back or something. I don't know. The whole thing seems to me like that one of those things that this should not have happened or, or should not have been able to happen. Even though it did, I don't really understand why it took five hours to move them. Well, it's from the – and our friend Seth posted the audio and from the audio, it sounded like they pulled them through the grass and so they had to bring in steel plates to do so. Why could they not just back them up the way they came? I do not know these things. I, I, I was not there and frankly, thankfully, I was not there. <laughs> That's got to be Because being stuck on the, on the yeah. plane for, you know, what was it, five hours? I mean, that's – Incredible. And uh, I do not want that. Let's talk about a another anniversary that passed in between our recordings and then we'll take a quick break. And that is the 35th anniversary of the Gimli Glider. And that happened on the 23rd of July. So kind of in between our, our last episodes. And that, I mean, the, the pictures, Jason, have you ever seen the pictures from like the, there's the, the one photo of just before it lands? Indeed I have. <laughs> so to to kind of set the scene, I guess, and Air Canada seven six seven had taken off with much less fuel in the tanks than the pilots thought they had. This was a conversion error, right? It was. Well, kind of, it was one of those things where nothing is ever one thing when something goes bad in aviation. It was they had unusable uh, fuel gauges and they had you know said the maintenance had said okay you're you're good to go with them as long as we know how much you know fuel we have to to start with but then the problem was is that they had misconverted the fuel between gallons and and liters or pounds and kilograms pounds and kilograms sorry not gallons and liters and so they had basically half as much fuel as they thought they had and no way to know they were running out and exactly. Which raises and, all sorts of other questions. What would have happened if there was a fuel leak, which is something that happens sometimes? Well, it, it's it's happened before where they had, you know, the the fuel leak and then they transferred they transferred fuel into the side that was leaking and it leaked faster, which is what happened in the uh the Azores glider. Right. That was uh, uh was it air transit? Yeah. And then that was uh I don't know if there's a, a milestone coming up on that, but but the, with the Gimli glider, they landed in well Gimli, uh, which got the name. But they landed at an old Royal Canadian Air Force base that had been turned into a racetrack, and and so they they had installed a guardrail that that basically ran down the center of the runway that they landed over um, and helped stop the aircraft after it landed, which resulted in in fewer people being injured and and it not leading to a very serious possibly very serious accident but uh, but 35 years later yeah so now i'm looking uh, at a picture of where that aircraft currently is and of course it's very retired because it's a 76200 and it's, uh, uh, it's in the desert with michael it's bay got a lot of holes in it yeah, it's is it is it at Mojave as well, or is it in Victorville? I can't Let's remember. Let's see. I'm loading the picture now. It was in Mojave. Yeah, I'm sure it's still so there. It's next to Michael Bay, or parts of it, or somewhere. Well, you can actually buy a part of it. Hmm. They they took a panel out and 
turned it into keychains. Right. And Remember, this is only after they fixed it, put it back in service, and then oh, retired yeah, it yeah. years later. We forgot the best part of this whole story. Yeah. They fixed it, and it flew until 2008. Yep. And then gas got expensive, and then they retired it. Exactly. So now you can, if you want a part of it, we'll put a link in the show notes where you can go spend the most money you've ever spent on a keychain. It's going to be weird getting on an airplane. I'm sure there was a plaque somewhere maybe of like, this airplane once crashed after running out of fuel once. Oh. I doubt they put a plaque on it. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm going to go I'm gonna go out on the limb and say that there was no plaque put Still, on that airplane. Got to be really strange being on an aircraft that legitimately crashed once. I mean, Yeah. I'm trying to I, – I don't think I've ever been on an airplane that's crashed. I've been on an airplane that has had issues and had fatalities on board. Unfortunately, I only found out later, but not a crash. I, I feel like – I don't know if that would – I mean, I, I don't think that would stop me from, no. from flying the plane. It was the, – the time I was on one was kind of creepy once I found out that I was pretty much sitting in the same exact seat where people had died in the past. But yeah, there's no plaque for that on that MD-80. Probably a good thing. Yep. All right. Let's take a quick break and we'll come back and we'll talk about some new stuff that's happened in the past couple of weeks and one very, very strange proposal that we're still trying to get our heads uh, wrapped around. So stick with us. We will be back after a short break. Welcome back. And HiFly has its first A380 customer. And it's not who pretty much anyone anywhere ever expected. So it's not their first wet lease, extended wet lease customer. This no. is a, a rescue operation for Thomas Cook Scandinavia. Roads, passengers and roads were affected by an IT outage. And so they had a bunch of people that they needed to get back to Scandinavia. So instead of sending an A321, they get an A380. Well, they there was an article in... I don't know where at this point, but they basically said we looked everywhere for a charter aircraft. We couldn't find anyone. Uh, That's thanks. because Norwegian's using all yes, the high thanks flight. Rolls Royce and your Trent One Thousand. There are literally no aircraft in the world that airlines can pick up for a quick charter. The only thing hanging around was this A three eighty that High Fly just put into operation. And so now it's on its way as as we record on its way from uh, from Copenhagen to to Larnaca. It's a hell of an to- upgauge from a Thomas Cook A three twenty one. Can you, I mean, can you imagine being those people who are like, you know, we're we're stuck in, you know, we're stuck in Larka. It's a terrible, blah, 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 blah. Oh, by the way, here is, I, I mean, I'm going to be interested to see where do those people sit? I don't, what are they even going to do with that aircraft in, in Larka? Have they ever had an A? I know they've had yeah. an A380 there for a medical diversion, but never regular service. No, but I assume they'll do the same thing. I guess. Get, but Bring some stairs over, yeah, so run who, some buses. and Who gets to sit in the, the ex-Singapore first class suite and who goes into business class? Because Thomas Cook obviously does not have a first class suite. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I'm, I'm guessing you could put them all in economy on the lower deck and the upper deck is just there for funsies. I mean, wouldn't that be awful though? Yeah. <laughs> you have this, we, but you we, know, it, it's it's good training for high fly because it, it's not their first extended wet lease, but it still gets some experience with actual customer or passengers, not customers. I guess. I mean, ho- hopefully, I mean, hopefully they let them sit at least in the business class seats. I don't know if yeah, you were on board I, this aircraft. Email Ian at what's the email thing again? A, come on. <laughs> 
podcast at fr24.com. That's it. Yeah, if, if you have any insight into how this flight actually ended up being operated, and there's one tomorrow, uh, a round trip between Oslo and Palma de Mallorca that they're running as well, I think under the same kind of we needed a bigger plane upgauge thing. But we still so, don't know who will the first extended wet lease of this aircraft and I mean, it's probably Norwegian, but we don't know that for sure. Yeah, we, exactly. It's, I mean, it's Norwegian's a very safe bet, but uh, but it would be interesting just to see. You know, plot twist: it's Singapore. That would be interesting. <laughs> Speaking of giant planes, the Beluga XL first flew since we last uh, since we last met. So now there's a, a giant whale roaming the European countryside. Cool. The thing is massive. It is. It's ugly, but it's massive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, yes, it's ugly, but whatever. It's massive. It is, and it's doing its thing. And now it can fly. It's uh, still not as ugly as the Dreamlifter. Uh, yeah, no, that checks out. Yep. <laughs> but, uh, you know, uh, yeah. I'd love to see out. those two side by side, though. Well, I mean, that would be... I wonder, is, has that ever happened? So the the original Beluga, I, I believe, did not have the range to fly to the US. And I guess it could do it if it makes a bunch of stops. But I want, could the new Beluga XL fly nonstop to the US just to show off one day? I do not know. That would be fun. That would be fun. Yeah. Maybe bring it to, uh, maybe they could bring it to Oshkosh next year. That'd be cool. That would be cool. I'm going to write a letter. Yeah. I don't know to who, but somebody. <laughs> so Oshkosh was last week, and you and I unfortunately didn't have the chance to to make it up there, but over 600,000 people did, and more than 10,000 aircraft, making it the world's busiest airport once again for one week a year, which which I, I love. I love that. I mean, did you, ten, did you put a time lapse together of the ridiculous airborne holds they had of aircraft inbound? Yes, I did. Hmm. I will go back and find it. Cool, because it was yeah, kind of absurd. Well, I mean, it, it happened. You know, the when you have an event in the Upper Midwest during the summer, thunderstorms are always going to be a, a fun thing. And when you have you know ten thousand aircraft coming in, there's going to be some holding and waiting, especially when. I don't have stats on you know VFR versus IFR, but most of them are just VFR aircraft, right? And so it's ATC know. had to put literally dozens and dozens of aircraft into to holds, and like miraculously they they're able to make this work safely because you look at it on the site and it's just like there are dozens of aircraft circling each other all over the, the Midwest trying to get to this one airport, and it's somehow all being managed. Yeah, and I mean it's a it's a two basically it's a two runway airport during during the good times and but they can land th- three up to three aircraft kind of at once on the main runway because they have these colored dots on the runway that and they tell the aircraft which dot to land on because they don't need the full length of the runway to land which I always you know find fascinating and it's it's one of those things where if you get the chance to fly into Oshkosh I think that would be kind of on the top of the the Avgeek uh Avgeek bucket list. Either that or um fly it over to the seaplane base because they have that too. That'd be cool. So I saw I mean, some yeah. seaplanes yesterday. That was fun. Not in Oshkosh. No, on the East River, but that's different. Kind of the same. But the same. Yeah. So I mean it so it was a, a, a big event every year and they had the the Honeywell seven fifty seven was there, the uh the Airbus A two 
220. Is that what we're still calling it? The still 220. Hurts to say that. Okay, the Airbus A220 was there, and you know, a, a massive collection of you know home built stuff and uh, vintage airplanes, Warbirds, Boeing's military complement was there. All, all sorts of good fun stuff. The Blue Angels made a surprise visit, so that's always nice being surprised by you know six. F-18s. But yeah, so it was it was a busy week as always and uh, and now I need to get my letter writing campaign for the Beluga XL to come next year. Yes. I'm getting on that. First, we got to figure out who to mail it to. Or, yeah, we'll, we'll mail one to everybody. We could also try and get the Global Super Tank to come. Mm, maybe not for a little while though. Well, it, it's having an engine change right now in Ascoda. So I assume that the, the Kalita folks are getting that done. And and hopefully it'll get back into action fighting fighting the wildfires in California, Oregon, and elsewhere soon. Yeah, they really need to hurry that engine swap or whatever they're doing up because I'm pretty sure the entire West Coast is on fire. It's been pretty crazy to see all of the activity with the you know ten tankers, DC tens, and then all of the smaller stuff you know converted MD eighties, C one thirties, all all sorts of you know random aircraft that you're like, yeah, we, we just converted it to a tanker and we're sending it out. The, the One of the first uh, Colson 737s is almost active or is active. That'll be good to to have as well. But it, yeah, it's all over the, the, the West is just fires everywhere. Shall we discuss a, a rather not well thought out proposal? Call it or? what it is and say stupid. Okay. You explain. Okay. The TSA is everyone's least favorite government agency, has a proposal to eliminate security at 34% of U.S. airports. That sounds like a lot. Yeah, that's the headline, basically. The gist of it is they want to eliminate security at smaller airports that have less than uh, 60 or fewer seats, which actually turns out as quite a bit. It's only, um, I'm reading this on One Mile at a Time, Ben Schlappig's sites, it only impacts 10,000 passengers a day, which is only about 0.5% of people who fly US airports. And it takes somehow 1,300 TSA employees to do that. So the TSA is not an efficient agency, but they basically want to Get rid of outbound security for these flights at airports with fewer than 60 seats and do it when you arrive at your destination. Does that make any sense to you, Ian? The idea makes sense to me. Actually doing it does not. No. So I don't even know logistically how that would work when you arrive. If I'm flying out of, let's say I used to do this all the time, Lansing, Michigan, which has no aircraft over 50 seats these days. May Actually, they probably have some CRJ-700s. I don't want some mid-Michiganers to yell at me. But if I'm flying from Lansing to Detroit, uh, what do you do in Detroit? Are they going to have to quarantine you like you're an inbound international customer and rework gates so that you do not mingle with the departing passengers until you clear security? What does that do for connecting times? Because minimum connect is really important for hub airports. And when you're clearing security in the middle of a domestic to domestic flight that's going to ruin a lot of people's days. I I mean, it's not unheard of in, in smaller countries. I know when I was in Fiji, when we had a little Britain Norman Islander flight, there was no security for that because it was under a certain passenger load. But 
a 50, 60 seat RJ is, is kind of preposterous to say we don't need to do security outbound for this. That's, I, I, I don't know. I'm done with this. We've already wasted too much time. <laughs> Fair enough. Let's close the show with an email that you got this week. Ooh, yes, because it was a very interesting one and perhaps uh, something for future discussion. Yes. So I got a random email. Subject, hello, Jason. It's Jonas. I don't know a Jonas. After seeing your contact in an online article, I wanted to reach out to you and give you a special offer. It's a special offer, you know. We have a special offer for Airbus planes and we can provide a financing option for using our platform in Montreal, Canada. If you can find a potential buyer, we can guarantee you a good commission. And then they sent a, a, a list of aircraft they have available. So, Ian, would you be interested in a brand new Airbus A320-200 ready for dispatch? We got six of them. The retail price is $115 million, which doesn't sound right. But our price is only $63 million per plane. What do you say? I say that no thank you. No? Mm, I wasn't expecting that. All right. What about a brand new A321? We've got three of them. Retail price, $114.9 million for you because you're a good friend. $79 million even. $1, Bob. $1. Hmm, no. And it looks like in this picture, they used an interior, a, a vintage 2000 JetBlue A320 interior for uh, selling these A321s. That, that's all sorts of wrong. We got a really good offer at the end here. Brand new A350-900. Two of them. Retail price $308 million per aircraft. For you, the friend price is $195 million. Does it come with the undercoat? Rust proofing, yes. Undercoat, no. So oh. if you can just sign your check now oh, okay. so I can collect my commission, that'd be good. The obvious question is, have you responded and have, have they not. then responded? I can respond for a full PDF to get the whole suite of specifications for these aircraft. But as our buddy John Ostrauer pointed out on Twitter, these are terrible deals for these aircraft. Atrocious deals. Which makes me all the more intrigued. Right. What? Why did this email come to me? Which apparently it goes to a lot of people in the industry. Where did these airplanes come from? How did they acquire them? Why are they selling them for god-awful prices? $63 million for an A320 is probably more than most airlines pay for them. New, of course, they get them in volume, but nobody pays the list price ever. Anyone. Nowhere. Was was there a name on that anywhere besides Jonas? Because it sounds like something that the folks who used to run Baltia have come oh, up with. Oh, maybe it is Baltia. They pivoted, but... Uh, their platform, they work with a company called P&T Management in Montreal, but it's sent from just some some guy. That it's at a gmail.com account. I was really hoping you were going to say GeoCities. No, or no, no. Jonas, uh, Project Manager, Eco Software Hub, Inc. And there's a 917 phone number attached, which I'm pretty sure is a New York City cell phone number. So there's all sorts of weird going on here. Well, then I think we need to follow up and talk about this in the next episode. And who knows? Maybe we'll have bought a plane by then. That's or true. And commission I'll get that for one. sweet, sweet commission. They didn't say what commission. It may be like $1, but um, <laughs> we, we more said than it I would had be good. Before. Yes. There you go. <laughs> Should we talk about anything else before we go? Oops. Maybe maybe a billion dollars. Yeah. Maybe a trillion dollars. No, no, no. Only a billion. That's ridiculous. Okay. So... OAG put out a report, and we found this through uh, SF Gate, written by 
Chris McGuinness. The most, the top 10 revenue earning airline routes in the world. Ian, do you have any idea what it might be? What route in the world collects 1,037,724,867 US dollars per year? LaGuardia to Islip. Uh, no. Am I close? Mm, you're one of your one of the uh, endpoints of this route is in New York State. Okay, in that case, I will I will go with the obvious and say New York to London. You're right. It is Excellent. British Airways JFK to Heathrow, topped a billion dollars in revenue, scheduled hours forty two thousand one hundred seventeen hours. I'm guessing that means uh, how many flight hours there were. Revenue per hour was $24,639. That is a profitable route. Coming hmm. in under that, Qantas, Melbourne to Sydney? Really? Oh, that's okay. <laughs> Qantas, Melbourne to Sydney. Emirates, Heathrow to Dubai, Singapore, Heathrow to Singapore, American, LAX to JFK. Wow. United, San Francisco to Newark. So those Transcon routes are, are lucrative. And then it tapers off the bottom of the list of the top 10, Singapore, Sydney to Singapore at a paltry so, uh, yeah. 500, $543 million. It's, I'm, I'm not sneezing at any of that money. No, that's uh, interesting that American and United have, are on the list on their Transcon premium, East Coast, West Coast, but Delta is not. Interesting. Hmm. Hmm. I smell a follow-up. Yes. It's interesting though that the the Qatar is so much, you know, is so far behind, you know, Emirates, but now that I say that we talked about, you know, two episodes ago that there's, you know, 550 billion seats between Dubai and and London every day. Yeah. Well, it's good to see uh United San Francisco Newark is up there because when that flight operated at JFK, they operated at a loss. They didn't make any money. So I guess moving it to Newark it's really, all about connecting really passengers. was a good idea, even though the current management says it was a bad idea. It's one of the top 10 revenue earning routes in the world now. Interesting. Hmm. I wonder what the total, I mean, if we're talking, because these are revenue routes per airline. I wonder what the total would be for, you know, for JFK London. I don't I mean, know. Because if British Airways is making a billion dollars on one route, I mean, you think about how many other other airlines are flying the same route, and yeah. that's a that's a lot of money. That is a lot of money. And think about how many routes they're not making any money on. Oh well, there's that. That Laguardia Islip is just never going to turn a profit. Ah, uh, you know that'd be nice. It's better than taking the Long Island Railroad. <laughs> that's that's fair. Oh, you know what? While we're on the subject of these things, we should talk about Delta's cargo. Oh, the Johannesburg flight. Yeah, that was pretty – I mean, that was fascinating to me. Yeah, this route is is, – how much money did they make on a single flight? It was like $200,000. Yeah, which explains why when I was booking a flight to Johannesburg a couple months ago, I couldn't afford Delta because I wanted 750,000 miles in economy. (laughs) That's that's a lot. A quarter of a million Sky Pesos. Uh, Obviously, I did not take them up on that offer. So BMW was manufacturing, uh, I, I want to say it was like the X5 or something like that, and they needed something broke in their plant in South Africa, and they needed to get parts from. I'm assuming the what is it in Spartanburg? Yep, is where South they have Carolina. the 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 BMW plant. So they they trucked everything over to to Atlanta, and then Atlanta to Johannesburg, and and Delta, you know, charged them 
$200,000. I would have loved to hear that conversation between uh, Mercedes and no, BMW. Sorry, BMW and Delta being like, we need to get this part down to Johannesburg now. And really, the only way you get between the US and Johannesburg is either Delta through Atlanta or South African through New York City because the IADs flight makes a stop to car, Senegal, I think. And that conversation must have been just Delta saying, all right, we got the space. How much money you got? Yeah, really. And it turns out it was a lot of money. They they had a lot of money. And the, the, my favorite part about this was the announcement involved a, a stock photo that had been mirrored and then all the logos were applied on top of it. And so you had this, this backwards driving BMW coming towards you. That's very, it was it was very interesting. And and now it looks like they've taken down the uh the post. I, I can't find it on Delta's website anymore. Probably for we'll, the best. We'll, yeah, we'll see if they moved it or something and, and put it in the show notes to to get the actual numbers in it. But there's a lot of revenue floating around. Money is good. I wish money, I could have some of it. <laughs> you and me both. If anyone has any money, podcast no. <laughs> <laughs> we'll leave it there. We'll, we'll we'll just leave it there and hope in the intervening two weeks before the next episode, Michael Bay doesn't do anything else. Mm, never a guarantee. Never a guarantee, but we'll hope. We'll hope against hope. Thank you, everyone, so much for listening to episode 37 of AvTalk. If you have questions, comments, concerns about Jason or I or, or anything in general or aviation related. Or if you want to buy one of my airplanes. <laughs> podcast at fr24.com and we will we will read your email and I will forward any complaints right along to Jason and we'll talk about them in the next episode. Thanks everyone for listening. I am Ian Pechnik here as always with Jason Rabinowitz and thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.